0: It's the 4th of October, we're recording at the start of Cybersecurity Awareness Month and in the news there's a lot of talk about what happened with Optus. Today we're going to dive in, take a look at what's reported to have happened, what could have been done to avoid it and what best practice looks like. Welcome to Insights as a Service. This week we are jumping on the bandwagon, albeit a little bit late, and talking all things Optus hack because we've got a, a sweet uh, scoop with the only person in the whole world that knows exactly what happened and exactly how it can be mitigated. Uh, Daryl Turner, head of DevOps at Lightwire, but of course jokes. Uh, we're going to talk in in uh, in rough strokes and broad strokes, um, base our discussion off what is currently known, which isn't a lot, but there have been some things reported. Uh, so a big disclaimer here is, of course, we don't know exactly what happened with Optus, um, but based off what's been reported to date, we can make some um, some high-level um, assessments of, of what could have been done to mitigate it if that was, in fact, what went down. So with all of those sort of uh, ifs, what's, maybes, um, cover our ass legally uh, done, uh, then let's kick off. Uh, Daryl, how are you? And also, where are you? You're in Hamilton, I take it? I am in
1: Hamilton. Yep. I am in the Lightwire office in, in Hamilton
0: Central here. Nice. Um, and lovely day. Yep. It actually does look nice, which is weird. Uh, it is and pretty good. Yeah. Nick, you're back at home and, uh, and welly. I am and it's meant to snow tomorrow, so I don't know what's up. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> so look, let's start off with some, with some background detail, right? So Optus has said that up to uh, 9.7 million customers may have been affected. Their data may have been accessed by a third party. Um, they definitely know that ten thousand two hundred people have had their data, including things like driver's license details, passport numbers, addresses, that sort of stuff accessed. Um, the, uh, the interesting thing is it, it's not the biggest uh, issue that that's uh, been faced by a business in Australia due to a due, due to a cyber attack. The canva attack was bigger. I, I've got some notes here that say that in two thousand and nineteen, canva, revealed that the email addresses and user login details of 139 million Canva uh, users was accessed, but it's important to note that none of their private data was. So that, I think, is the difference here. Um, And the financial review today reported that there have been 11 data breaches this year alone in Australia, where more than 10,000 people have had their data accessed by a third party. So it's important to note that it's not just Optus who's had this happen. It's it, a lot of businesses have been subject to, um, to to an attack of some sort. But this is certainly the most high-profile um, one that 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 I can think of in recent times. Um, what why do you what do you guys think? It's actually made such big headlines. What makes this one so unique?
1: I'd say it's the the type of information that's been disclosed. Oh, or well, you know, sup- supposedly taken by this attacker, you know, identification information coupled with you know names, account passwords, all of those kind of things. It's kind of a bit of a treasure trove of of that sensitive PII that you know has the ability to make people's lives uh, not so good if that is to be used for some nefarious things. So I think that's really why it's it's caught the attention and it seems to have made a lot of people quite mad. Yeah. You know.
2: Fair well. enough. So, I think it, it, yeah. It's also a very, you know, well-known brand within Australia, you know, it stands out I and mean, it's one of the, one of the big players from the telco market, you know, it's going to, it's going to attract a lot of attention.
0: Yeah. It's like a meme I saw today where it was uh, um, my company's not big enough to be targeted by a cyber attack. And what it really means is my company's not well-known enough to make the news if I'm targeted <laughs> yeah. by a cyber yeah. criminal, by you cyber know, <laughs> um, which is, yeah, I guess to your point, Nick, but, but to, to dive into that a little bit, Daryl, so what is the risk for these end users? Like what's, what's actually able to be done with that data that, that the most obvious things?
1: Well, I guess some of the, you read through the list of, of the stuff that was taken and, and the stuff that screams out to you is you know, password, uh, sorry, passport IDs, things like that. So, you know, you've got someone's name, you've got their address, you've got their, their passport ID, uh, Medicare IDs, things like that. That's, you know, pretty much everything that you'd need to, to become that person online.
0: 100 um, points of ID, so, right?
1: Yeah, so it's, you know, this is people needing to go out and replace their passports, cancel cancel the ones with those IDs that were taken and basically pay their money to, to get all that remade for them. So that's a huge hassle. If you don't do that, you know, there's there's it opens up the path to financial crime, things like that. People could sign up for loans under your name, all of those kind of things. Uh, you know, they could sign up for, you know, mobile phone plans, all of those kind of things
0: you know? It might be be a dumb question, but once a company has proved that you are who you say you are in the sign up process, you provided that 100 points of ID, you've got your passport, driver's license, Medicaid card, whatever it might be in Australia, do they really need to continue to hold that information or is is it enough to have your address, date of birth and middle names?
2: Yeah, companies should delete that information once they've validated that user is legit and let them into their system unless they have a requirement for ongoing proof of identity throughout the course of of that customer's life cycle with them. Yep. You know, like these, these kind of breaches as we've seen are
1: are always going to happen no matter what people are going to get attacked and there's going to be breaches. The best way to limit something really bad from happening is to not store that information that causes something really bad to happen. Um, So yeah, by all means best practice would indicate that you should, you know, not hold on to information longer than you need to. Um, integrate with existing, you know, third-party providers that are accredited with all of the, you know, the credit card information, things like that, PCI, things like that, so that, you know, you don't have that liability um, within your business is what you should really be doing. And I think there has just always traditionally been, you know, companies have that kind of habit of just sucking up all of that information from people holding onto it forever. You know, they may not even know what they're going to do with it. It's just it's easy to collect, so they do. Um, a lot of the I guess, you know, new new laws coming out in various territories around the place are actually starting to enforce things like that. So, you know, making sure that people are not holding on to things that they don't need to. And if they deem that they do have to hold on to that kind of stuff, then actually, you know, making them criminally liable potentially for if that's exposed.
0: That's I guess, one way to mitigate it, but maybe we'll take a step back, we'll come back to, to mitigation or, or how to avoid risk or limit risk in the first place. To to set that scene, we're going to need to understand what happened. And it's important to note again that at this point, there has been no formal sort of you know reason for issue, or I don't even know what the right terminology is in this case, but OBDUS certainly hasn't categorically stated exactly what happened to cause this, what vulnerability was exposed and, and, and how access was gained. But what has been fairly widely reported is that there was a, I don't know, what's the right term, an API that wasn't had an authorization. Yeah,
1: So, so yeah, yeah, you're right, Brendan. There is no official details from either, you know, Optus or, you know, no official release from a, a forensic investigation or from the authorities themselves. From what various people, including you know, politicians over there in Australia, have actually indicated, as it looks like the access to this information came through a publicly available API uh, that Optus had uh, open to the internet. Um, And, you know, they were quoted as saying it's as if they left the window open for someone to just come in and and take whatever they wanted. Um, So, yeah, again, we can't say, you know, the complete ins and outs of how and why that kind of thing happened. But we could, you know, talk about APIs and API security and and some of the things that you should kind of do if that is the type of thing that your business provides.
0: Okay, well, let's do that. Let's talk about uh, what financial, the financial review today. Um, I read an article and they were talking about the, in their words, and I quote here, uh, the company didn't even do standard quote unquote, happy path testing on the system in question, much less penetration testing, leaving 9.8 million Australians to walk a very unhappy path for many years to come. So what is happy path testing?
1: Cool. Well, I guess yeah. We'll start like let's let's just talk about what an, what an API is and, and you know Fine. why why people, why people have APIs and and what could the purpose of this have been, right? So there's there's you know API can mean a lot of different things. What I assume we're talking about here is a a web based HTTP API. Um, so these can be useful to an organization for many reasons. It could legitimately be a public facing you know, internet API service, the point of these things being for other third-party software developers to integrate with your platform. You know, think of Google Maps, um, things like that. So you can go to Google and you can, you know, look at places and, and go to places on the map there, but they also have a an API that you can sign up to. And if you're building your own little application that needs to use maps and things like that, you you tap into that publicly available Google API and it allows you to Get data back and, and build stuff on top of them. So there's that purpose there. Um, if you look at your you know, your software as a service SaaS kind of model, you know, mobile applications, things like that. Um, you know, user goes into Netflix in their browser or or whatever they want to use, and all the magic that is really driving that is happening behind the scenes on Netflix's servers. Uh, you know, whatever company we're talking about here. Um, so the clients, so your your mobile app, your, your browser app, are uh, talking over an API to those backend systems to get their data. Obviously, in that model, you don't, you know, give every everyone's mobile phone doesn't have all the movies and everything like right there with it, right? It's it's retrieving that data from an external source. So there's there's that use for an API. Quite often as well, you see APIs being used in, in what you'd call, you know, backend business services, which is you know, very, very widely used across you know any industry vertical really, which is, you know, same kind of idea, a HTTP based API, but they're not for people outside of your organization to use. It's for your own tooling, your own interconnected systems to to talk back and forth to one another. Your own, you know, you could imagine in the case of, and again, speculating here slightly, in the case of you know a telco like like Optus or something like that, you could imagine that. You know, they would have a customer API that allowed them to get information about, you know, their users, and that was supposed to be used by, you know, internal tooling they had for their accounts team or something like that for some of the software they used there, those kind of things. Um, So those are probably, you know, and there's, you know, API can mean a lot of things, but that's just kind of when we're thinking about, you know, what could be accidentally placed on the internet or even purposefully placed on the internet in terms of an API for people to uh, potentially poke around it and get some juicy information from those are the kind of things that jump kind of straightforward to my mind. Um, so when you're referring to, to things like happy path testing and, and that kind of stuff, what, what uh, they'll be referring to there. In, in that article will be, you know, generally when you build software, especially in the standards, and age, you, you, you're supposed to be doing testing, especially automated testing. Uh, you know, not always for security reasons that can be a big part of it, but for just, ensuring that things functionally work the way that you intend them to, that you're able to have your developers making changes and and releasing that rapidly without, you know, breaking things, regressing functionality of your system. So happy path testing here would be referring to ensuring that all of your API functionality works as you intend it to do, given the correct web web requests and responses that you would expect for you know the client side to be making to that API. Um, you know you could't uh, know picking, picking examples off the top of my head, say if there was a customer endpoint to this API, an endpoint, we mean a um, you know a URL that you can go to to integrate with the API that returns you a list of you know, name, address, phone number, username, password, passport number, <laughs> all of these kind of things. Um, You would have a, a, you know, the happy path testing would be ensuring that there is a test there that says, you know, if you go to this URL with, you know, this format, it returns the expected response of of this. Um, A good practice would also be to do things like, you know, doing, I'm an authenticated user. Do I get a response indicating that I'm allowed to do this? What happens if i am not an authenticated user do i get you know a response that indicates i'm not allowed to to make these actions things like that and, and that stuff is really best practice
0: and the way that you you laid that out makes me think that perhaps the authenticated user check wasn't in play here is is what the 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 thinking is at the moment
1: from from what i've read yeah that's that's kind of what people have been been honing in on is that the api itself did not require any form of authentication um this is a very common thing to have happen also, by the way. So this happens to almost any kind of organization of, of any size. And it may not be an API, but there's been many, many occasions of of basically accidental public exposure of, of sensitive information. Often these are, you know, people hanging a database or a a cloud storage bucket or something like that online that doesn't require password authentication to get into. And people stumble across these and you know, bad things can happen from that. So I think from from that that quote that you mentioned, the the thing that really jumps out is that you know they are indicating that they had no form of testing there. So that to me either says two things: either you know they didn't have potentially really good development practices that that would have picked up things like that, or maybe you know they they just had the ability to accidentally run this in production. With an authentication hanging on the internet, and you know, had no idea that they were doing doing things, you know, completely accidental. Um, you know, exposure that had always been that way. And maybe this wasn't a bug or you know a vulnerability someone introduced. This could be just how they designed it by accident.
2: How hard is it to stumble across this? Is is it something that you have to probe for? Like the hack, would the hacker be probing for this, or could they run some software that might find these kind of vulnerabilities?
1: That's an interesting question because. You know, you, you, you don't, it, d- it does depend. Quite often people will just stumble upon this stuff. Um, you know, picking another example from, I can't remember exactly when, but a, a few years back in New Zealand, um, there was a bit of a media story around, um, you know, the current year, whatever year this was, was, the, the budget um, was, you know, essentially leaked and, and people were saying, you know, this was a data breach and all those kind of things. But what had really happened is someone had accidentally uploaded you know, that budget information that. before it was meant to go public. And if I recall correctly, it, it ended up being exposed because, you know, you could browse to a URL that's like, for example, 2017 budget, and it would have, you know, three years ago's budget, 2018 would have 2018's. So someone happened to just put the current year's URL path in and happened to find some information there and go, Oh, this is interesting. So it could well be that there was just, you know, some curious person out there that happened to stumble upon this and realize what it was um, and, you know, potentially decided to do something bad with it. Um, The fact that, you know, initially this, you know, attacker has, you know, disclosed the information on, you know, forums where people disclose information and, you know, initially asked for a ransom, all of the, the, you know, for me, all of the steps that actually take this person from just, you know, stumbling upon something that was publicly available on the internet to actually being, you know, a cyber criminal, is those steps and, and you know, potential, again, I haven't seen myself any of these things, just reading what the report said, you know, the, that actual attempt to extort um, and to, to do something malicious with that information indicates that perhaps, you know, they are out there looking for things like that. And to answer your question Nick, about is there software and, and things like that that can, can help you find this? Absolutely, yeah, people can just, you know, it's pretty simple to do um, because it's all just using, generally speaking, web HTTP protocol. People will just be basically out there scanning IP addresses and domains for web servers that are are running, and basically anything that doesn't give you an access denied, they may look further and just see if there's anything interesting there. And, you know, there is various open source tools that will kind of allow you to scrape. You know, this is a lot of what web scraping is, is just automating the man, what would be manual of just poking around the internet, seeing what's what's out there. Um, it could be as well that maybe they were an Optus customer and potentially this API that we're talking about here could be, like I mentioned before, something that's actually supposed to sit behind one of their you know, customer-facing web apps or a mobile app or something like that and a curious person said, what happens if I poke around a bit and, and happen to find, find something there? Um, so... This happens all the time. It's it's very very common. It's I guess the actions that were taken. Um,
0: If you if you get uh, you know pen testing um, as a service from some external party, what onus is there on on an organisation that runs that sort of a service to find these sort of vulnerabilities? Like if they're if they're engaged to, uh, and I don't know if anyone was in this case, and it doesn't matter. But just just speaking at a high level. If you engage someone to, to an entity to do penetration testing for your business, they don't find a vulnerability like this, which is later identified and, and exploited. W- I wonder what sort of onus there is on, or, or, or um, you know, uh, legal or otherwise responsibility for that organisation to, to 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 cover the cost.
1: I think, um, from what I have seen from from you know, people that quite often do this, is you know they they will have contracts signed which determine the scope and also determine that. You know, if at some point in the future, you know there is a vulnerability found, they're not going to be liable for not having found something like that. Um I think, again, if we are assuming that this was as exposed as as what these reports are making it out to be, you know, us to believe, um, I would I would, you know, hazard to guess that any half decent pen testing firm would be able to find a. API that's exposing sensitive information that does not have any authentication required if it was in fact exposed to the internet. Um, well,
2: so... thing's also only half half the puzzle, right? You've got to come around yep. and actually remediate on, on all those points.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which is, I think, it was always going to be one of my big po- talking points for today is you can have all of the best DF practices, you can have all of the best, you know, security tooling and, and all of these kind of things, but if at the end of the day, you know, a pen pen tester found this and reported it. If there's nobody, if you don't have the capacity, if you don't have, you know, the capability in the organization, or or things are not a priority if they just go onto a big backlog of things to fix. And you know, there's always a burning fire and there's always things to fix and it never gets in front of someone to fix, then, you know, pen testing is not going to do you any good.
0: It's true. I also think in these situations there's um there's the technical element, but there's also the incident response piece and 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 again we'll get back to maybe the technical part of that as well. But when you claim that you're the victim of a sophisticated cyber attack and that turns out not to be the case, it's a fairly benign sort of vulnerability that that's front of the mill. Again, caveats if what happened happened, if if what we think happened happened. I think there's just that PR piece. The more you own it, the more you're you're authentic in your response and the more you just think about how can we limit exposure or or risk to the end users whose data is involved, I think as a brand you come out of it looking much better when you claim that you know some super criminal um got the better of you and you know could have happened to anyone um you know no defense could have, could have withstood the, this attack uh, it just it, it doesn't do good things for the brand
1: absolutely not, and you see it time and time again i think as you know I guess you know you, you do you do need to feel for for these these organizations that have had this happen um you know.
0: I feel for their teams. I don't know about the exact, yeah. but I definitely feel for the people yeah. on the ground.
1: Yeah, it's it's never a good situation, right?
2: Yeah, there'd be a lot of pressure up so.
1: Yeah, it's Yeah, no one's having a good day, basically, when, when any of this is happening. But I do agree with you that it, it does go a very long way, having that transparency there, having clear and consistent comms. Also, letting your users or, or the public know, you know how, who... Are actually doing you know your your incident response um you know things like that um knowing you know telling the rest of your team like the things to say um so i think everyone should you know if you are working at an organization and you're in charge of security or if you know you're running a business um you have to assume breach you have to assume something bad is going to happen at some point so you need to have your your incident response you know from a technical um perspective but really from a from a PR, from a comms, from, you know, just just be good to your customer's point of view as well. Um, I think, you know, you, you, we saw it the other week as well with the the Uber breach as well. Um, you know, the, the kind of lack of transparency you see up front when people are kind of in panic mode and then it comes to light what actually happened just kind of leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. So, I mean, I don't have all the answers. It must be difficult, a difficult situation to be in. Um, But yeah, I think yeah, companies should be focusing on this and we're trying to do it better for sure. Oh,
2: oh, this has done a really good job of, of having a, a, a short, four minute, succinct video on what's happening, where they're at, who they're working with, and who it's impacted, basically. And it's just a really good takeaway in probably some of the most layman's terms of, of what's happened. And I think that's a really good way to present it to marketers. So yeah. here's what we're doing.
0: Oh, they Salvation. have done that. Mm okay and
2: Haven't that's up a dedicated web nice. page for yeah. it okay. oh
1: nice yeah that's that, that's quite a good way of doing it thought what i've been reading is that that you know there had been a bit of discontent around the place based on you know them just sending people affected potentially affected customers a single email saying hey this is what's happening people are kind of you know where's a website where's something where can i get some help so
2: that's good to hear well, how many that, you know? how many yeah. spin-off scams and, and phishing attempts
0: have probably popped up you know as of off that as well you know it's
2: yeah that's
1: that right happen. yep
0: yeah i'd imagine there's a lot of people getting emails even you know most likely um genuine emails but then going into the stores to go what's this why am i getting this is it real can you help me you're, you're human you're right here i know this definitely isn't fraud and it's probably just getting overwhelmed with with um mm. you know, work but um just just going back to okay how do you how do you get in front of something like this stop it from happening essentially we've got penetration testing that makes sense i've got some notes in front of me that are from you daryl around uh bug bounty programs i don't know what that is uh red team purple teaming don't know what that is um outsource this stuff to an mssp uh if too expensive in-house i understand what that is we can come back to it run me through those first two
1: yeah um so bug bounty this is this is a really interesting one so i read again, an article, should probably be quoting these things that I read it from, I can't remember where, um, but uh, basically it was was a supposed correspondence with with the leaker of this, this information, where they said, hey, if Optus had a place or a way for me to report this vulnerability, I would have done it. Um, so that's actually really a valid thing. So a bug bounty program is basically where you operate a, you know, reward for reporting security issues. I should have said, um,
0: I don't know what it is. Like, it's all in the name. So I don't know what the hell I was yeah, all about. But yes, exactly. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so multiple ways of doing this, um, you know, quite often you're like a big company. So you think your, your, your Facebooks, your Googles, your Apples, things like that. They have their own bike bounty programs where, you know, any anyone, you know, can just go in there and uh, go, hey, security team, I found this bug." You know, you provide information. It's verified by the security teams. And you actually do get, a payout if it's proven to be, you know, a, a, of different levels of, of of payout based on on severity and things like that. Um,
0: I know Tesla had of one that. of those, and didn't someone yep. report one to Tesla, but they basically went not not paying you. I just remember seeing some article about that in like Wired or something uh, last year.
1: That that can quite often be the case. Yeah, you know, it, it depends on I guess. If you're running a good bug bounty program you're going to have a set of rules a set of sort of criteria that that you're happy for it to cover um so probably the most important piece i think of of talking about bug bounties is you know how can your average organization use something like this because i think it's it's remarkably valuable um so there's actually services out there now that that offer you know bug bounty program as a service so basically um, they, they have that, that centralization, that layer of abstraction over running your own bug bounty program. So the big, the big players out there that are, that are quite popular would be uh, outfits like HackerOne, um, Bugzilla and things like that, which basically are uh, a service where you as a company sign up and say, I want to run a bug bounty program. But then also cybersecurity researchers, you know, white hat hackers, people like that sign up as well to be, um, you know, bug hunters. And then essentially there's you know, a whole bunch of good stuff in the middle where you go, you know, this is the type of stuff that's in scope. These are my domains and IP addresses that I want people to look at, all that kind of stuff. And then the hackers that are part of that program, then, you know, see, hey, XYZ company is now on here. I can go and start looking at the stuff that's in their scope. And then you know, find bugs and they file it through, say, the One platform. And that ends up sending emails or tickets through your security team to remediate. and once you've verified, then um, you know payouts and things like that can happen from the HackerOne program directly to the security researchers.
0: It seems like a really cost-effective way to go about it.
1: Absolutely, yeah, because uh, because um, again, it's that whole idea of, of you know you you spread that that cost wide across a large number of organizations and the other cool thing about it as well is that you don't actually have to pay any actual money for these if you don't want to so the cool thing about these um these platforms is they kind of gamify the whole bug hunting thing so you can imagine you're you're uh, just getting into the the world of penetration testing you know looking to get some experience looking to get a name out there you know some stuff to put on your CV sign up to hacker one and they have a whole like you know xp experience points kind of kind of thing so you know, if you're a company and you want people to test your security, but you don't necessarily have the resources to even offer financial rewards at all. um, You can offer, so like, you know, experience points. So you'll have, you know, people find bugs, file them. If they get a valid bug, they'll get however many experience points. And then these platforms often do things like if you get over X level of, of experience points, then you'll get invited to higher paying, um, programs and things like that so basically if you're a company that doesn't want to pay out um, you're not going to get the most experienced people because you know your really top gun penetration testers are going to be in it for the dollars right they're not going to be worrying about their xp because they've already got heaps of xp so they'll be going on the, the big bounty payouts getting invited to all the exclusive uh, programs and things like that whereas you know people who are less experienced will be looking to to gain that experience but it's a really really effective way of doing it and To be honest, the the benefits of it are are pretty amazing. Um, You know, you hire, you know, once a year or whenever you want to do it, some external penetration testing firm to come in and and do testing. That's great. They'll probably find things. They'll probably help you out. But having just a very diverse set of eyes on your platform from all around the world, uh, potentially continuously as well, right? Um, There's always, there could always be someone testing. There's always a new know someone with new ideas having a look and it's something that you don't have to kind of schedule once a year or you know yeah once every five years or or whatever um and you know a lot of people that do this stuff really effectively will still do a you know let's hire a, a pen testing um consultant come in but they'll also have a bug bounty program you know it's that defense in depth it's you know approach it from multiple angles
0: makes sense all right, well, the one that I definitely don't understand on the face of it, uh, red team, purple teaming. Uh, running yeah,
1: so, so that there I made some notes on. You know, if you're an organization that has a, a a very mature security posture already, being you have either resource or your outsource resource to actually take care of your business and, from a security point of view, so you have defenders, you have technology in place that, that can help prevent uh, attacks, uh so the idea of, of red teaming is you know, red teaming or adversary emulation is when you actually get people to do a kind of no-holds barred or you know very realistic long-term attack against your organization. Um, kind of comes from from the military uh term of you know, like the red team. So they'd have you know a dedicated set of soldiers that would attempt to sneak into a military base as so the red team, and it's all about testing and the defenses, actually testing what you call your blue team your defense team actually seeing if all that technology you've paid for all of the expertise all the processes all the runbooks all the documentation is actually fit for purpose um so obviously no point in doing anything like this if you don't actually have the ability to respond to incidents in real time so it is something for for people that are you know mature um Mm -hmm. but it allows you to do things like you know a lot of it comes down to adversary emulation so you go i want to pretend that i uh, you know we are being attacked by a you know ransomware outfit you know people go as far as naming specific you know adversaries uh there is you know frameworks in place um the miter attack framework is a big one which is basically maps attack techniques to to know an adversaries so you can kind of put together an exercise. Based on you know how well do our fences our defenses stack up against X Y Z attack method and you actually um, have you know this this red team come in and, and perform that and, and basically try and hack you um, and this is you know going as far as you will allow social engineering um, you may allow people to sneak into your office and break into your data center um, you know to to ring up your 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 you know admin staff on on, on front of house there and, and and ask for the keys to the kingdom things like that. Um, because you're, you're you're testing your ability to respond to a potential incident, um, you know, the purple teaming thing comes in when you mix a red team and purple team, uh, blue team. So blue team defenders, red team attackers. So the idea of purple teaming is everybody knows what's happening, and you know the the red team will go, hey, we tried this thing, we were able to get this far. Did you see us in your the you, you know the your incident system light up with with logs for us trying this? No, it didn't. Oh, maybe we should work together to figure out how to get this exact type of attack lighting, you know, lighting up like a Christmas tree on on in the in your security operations center, basically. Okay. Um, so very effective. Um, but yeah, it is for people, you know, that are kind of beyond, you know, your basics.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we've covered off a several options there that allow you to take a proactive stance, um, in terms of cybersecurity, um, scaling from you know fairly. Um, continuous but almost paper play type approach uh, to to finding bugs and having a bit more time to respond to that vulnerability right through to pretty much continuous real time mitigation. Uh, so uh, continuous, um, I guess, challenging of your security posture and real time mitigation. So th- th- there's ways to approach it that that you know scale right through the um, I guess the range of businesses, uh, resource and size. Uh, I guess the one thing across all of those though is it's not a Single point in time approach to cybersecurity. It's continuous. It's it's continually evolving as are your systems. Therefore, so are the risks. So with that with that said, how does that tie into the whole cybersecurity awareness month that we now find ourselves in? What part, if any, does that have to play in your mind in the the industry that we work within?
1: I mean, it's good that there's an awareness month. You know, it is is better than no awareness. And I mean, drawing people's attention to things um, that that aren't you know spending their attention on this kind of stuff is has got to be a good thing but it's one of those things you know that we've, we've talked about it's you know i say you know you, you hire someone to come and do a pen test once every year or every five years or something like that it's you know security is not about you know hey it's security awareness month let's you know let's make sure we book the pen testers this month because you know we've got to be aware that it's happening um you know if you're responsible for privacy responsible for security it's responsible for engineering development all those things if you play a part in keeping your business secure which let's face it every one of your team members do right if you answer phones everything you know you've got to buy into this stuff and it's got to be something you're continuously getting better at um learning developing <laughs> you know you can't just you know once a year or whatever sit down and go you know, what's our budget for security this year? Cool, we'll book some pen testers in. What's a hot new security platform out there? Let's let's pay some money and, and get people to come in and da 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 da, da. Because, one, if you're, if you're not buying into it at an organizational level, anything that comes out of those, you know, those things you're spending money and time on, you're not going to action them. You're not going to set them as a priority. You're not going to be aware, so you're not going to get the benefit of them. Um, it's also all about that sort of, defense in depth, you know, continually improving your processes, things like that. So that, that's something that, that everyone needs to get on board with. Um, you can't just be like, oh, it's the security people's problem to make everything secure. Um, you know, there's, there's no, you can't just pay some money and tick a box and then be secure. You know, you have to operate from a, a assume breach, you know, bad things are going to happen. That's yeah. just the world we live in now.
0: Something you talked to me about, um, Nick, I can't remember which episode it was in, but uh, you know, the idea of going around the teams inside the business and um, understanding what their role looks like, you know, how they use the systems, the network and the the apps and the software, and just understanding, you know, the 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 risks that they face and that they have to mitigate and, and maybe the knowledge gaps that there are. I just think that, you know, there's a lot of technical elements to this, but so much of it's human and that's where so much of the risk exists and Maybe that's one of the big takeaways for Cybersecurity Awareness Month is you don't have to teach people like you, Daryl, that there's a risk. You don't have to remind you uh, that that you need to be constantly addressing it. But it's the people who don't have direct responsibility but do have a part to play in that piece that I think maybe this month is really targeted at.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think you know everyone that's that's working at your organization that you you know is a is a good employee and has the best intentions. No one wants this bad stuff happening right like everyone you know everyone wants you know wants things to keep going in a secure way Um, but quite often it's just that there's no organizational level from the top down like awareness and 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 procedures you know like if you were for example you know answering the phones at a telco or something like that and there was something that you thought was a bit bit fishy you know is this is this someone potentially trying to attack us is there you know is there something dodgy going on if you don't know you know what do i do in this situation like how how do i get help you know how how do our customers get help um who do i talk to what do we do when there is you know potential for a cyber security incident i think having an awareness month is really helpful for that kind of thing um especially yeah. from you know leaders out there just to go you know do we have you know the right procedures in place, the right you know, do we have a, a an incident response policy? Like, who's who's in charge of what? What are the people involved here? Um, does everybody know what to do? That kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Um. We've unfortunately we've we've had trouble with Nick's uh, feed and uh, not getting a lot of input from him. So I'll just he did give me some numbers uh, earlier on, some updated numbers actually from Optus. So they they confirmed there are about two point one million customers that had at least one form of current and valid identification and personal information accessed by hackers. That included about 900,000 customers who had numbers from expired identification documents stolen, as well as personal information. Uh, with the data of about 9.8 million customers caught up in the cyber attack, there are more than 7.7 million people who did not have ID numbers accessed by the hackers. So I'm sure those 7.7 million people will be very relieved. Um, again, the, the thing for me is I don't. There's only what 25 million people in Australia. They won't have 10 million customers. They don't have that sort of market share. So I guess the other thing is how long do you hold former customer data yep. for, right?
1: Yeah, that that's what I was reading as well. That that given the the length of time that potentially this information has been held onto, it was something like I think yeah, they, they were saying something like forty percent of the potential population has the the ability for, you know, at least it may be well expired by now, and and you know old addresses and all that kind of stuff, old passwords, whatever. But still, that's a lot of people. So many. That's a the, lot of information to hang on to for a large number of years.
0: Yeah, and that, that's that's probably where it gets weird for me is just that whole governance piece, right? Like how are we how are we looking after our data, what data are we keeping, having a really clear approach to it. And that's the part that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But the um the the other thing that sort of strikes me is whoever this person is, based on media reporting again of. The conversations that are happening in some way shape or form with this alleged hacker um just sounds like a bit of a novice it's just the, the the numbers being asked for aren't huge uh it's almost like they stumbled across it went oh god what do i do now and then kind of threw out a number and it's like one million dollars it's it's not in the scheme of things for the size of it it's like that's it's not a lot i don't know it just like that,
1: that austin powers yeah yeah go. Yeah, well, to be honest, this, is, this has really been a little bit of a theme over the last little bit with a lot of these data breaches that have been reported. Um, you look at like the Uber um, and, you know, the um, Rockstar Games, um, you know, data leaks, breaches over the last few weeks, Um, going back for, you know, I guess a year and a bit now, uh, a, an adversary group that, that we're calling Lapsus is, uh, you know, it turns out that these are, you know, teenage kids. Um mm-hmm. Again, not you know they they're asking for money and things like that, but it seems like the primary motivation is the classic hacker motivation that you you know you don't see or you haven't seen a whole lot of uh, recently, which is just kind of you know getting notoriety, just breaching companies and 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 you know messing with people for you know for the, the lols, as the they say. Yeah, it's all
0: about the yeah. yeah. you know,
1: like in the Uber in the Uber breach, apparently they you know they breached the Slack and were were you know trolling. You know, staff members there and things like that. You know, that doesn't cry. You know, professional cybercriminal operation.
0: No, which of course is so Yeah, but it's crazy. Exactly. That, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the the lack of professionalism makes it even more scary. Uh, that it's exactly. It's, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, and all of all of the supposed again, supposed um, methods of access in those and those very recent breaches have been surprisingly uh, not technically sophisticated. You know a lot of very basic, um, you know, phishing, um, stolen credentials, uh, you know, very basic social engineering, um, things like that, and potentially by what people are saying about Optus, um, just very basic, bad, you know, IT hygiene, bad development practices, potentially,
0: potentially. So, yeah, all right, cool. Well, a lot of hearsay from us, uh, a lot of uh, based on what's reporting. So, again, huge uh, disclaimer we don't know really what happened, we're going off what we're hearing, so uh. And all the best to people on the ground. Up, just genuinely, it would suck, and um, and I hope they're all doing okay. All yeah, right, and it's
1: just a you know, given it's Cybersecurity Awareness Week, it's kind of a good excuse just to talk about some ideas behind you know application and API security, and you know different ways you can you can aim to make your product more secure by you
2: know taking some of these approaches.
0: Absolutely. All right, mate, it's been great to have you on. Thank you for helping us out with some expertise. Much, much needed. Sorely missed in another episode, but we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah,
1: no worries. Cool. And yeah, thanks for having
0: me. All good.